0: dialed in to Talking Into Infinity, a dream theater podcast. Follow the show on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube for schedules of live upcoming broadcasts where you can be a part of the show. What is up everybody? Welcome to episode two of Talking Into Infinity, a dream theater podcast. I'm your host, John. With me is my good friend and co-host, Brian. How's it going, man?
1: Hey, good, man. You said we're going to talk all things DT, so I thought you meant dangerous toys.
0: Oh, my Got God. Got my dangerous toys hat. hat here. The infamous <laughs> dangerous toys hat.
1: <laughs> this <laughs> oh is my, my one God. size rock, rock uh, hat fits all. You can put whatever band in here you want. So.
0: oh that is that is <laughs> atrocious but <laughs> that's hilarious so uh, so real quick before we get rolling here um, just wanted to say thanks everybody for checking out the first episode a couple weeks ago we've gotten some great feedback uh, we appreciate everybody you know stopping by leaving some comments and taking part in the program and everything and uh, so far the response has been really good so I know both Brian and I really appreciate it um, what we wanted to get into on this episode, is an album i've actually had some dream theater fans tell me they didn't know exists and that is the debut album when dream and day unite so uh brian you already had notes written up for this because you thought this was going to be what i listed as my favorite album when we did the last episode um so uh at least you're very well prepared i know uh we read some background on the album did a little bit of research on this um I'm gonna kick it off and, and tell you, I really, really like this record. I think it is very underrated. I mean, obviously, you know, it's, you know, the production issues have been discussed ad nauseam, um, but that notwithstanding, I think it's a great album. I mean, I, I don't know where you stand on it, so I'm interested to get your thoughts. Well, you know,
1: I don't wanna to backtrack too much from what I said last week. Um, Uh, but going back and re-listening to it you know there are there's definitely some bright spots in it that i that a lot of pieces that i enjoy and it's easy now hearing images and words and everything else you can see okay here is kind of where the bridge started here's how they sort of started building towards that especially when you get towards the end of this album i think it's like oh wow this is going to be what's coming you know i can see where this came from you know that type of a thing But yeah, for the most part, you know, it's not going to be an album I'm going to go back to and listen to. I will say that um, I did find, I don't have any of the actual live albums, um, so I did go on Spotify, and I found four live versions of four of the songs. I don't know how many there are out there, but all four of those I loved. So the live stuff, I would definitely go back and listen to the live versions of this. But this album, on its own, probably wouldn't go back to too much.
0: Okay. Yeah, I I'm a big fan of this record. Um, I like I said, I, I think it's I think it's uh very underrated, uh, you know, I I just I just really love it. I think this album falls in with um, this may, might be a stupid comment, but it 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 falls in with images and words and awake to me as kind of like this trio of records that has this very classic sort of sound. It was kind of a very uh, those three records had more of like an upbeat type of a feel and they you know i think you know obviously you know people know that the band name started out as majesty and i i think majestic is a good word to describe those first three records in terms of sound um now to your comment about the live stuff i actually do have the dvd um that they released on the yitse jam bootleg site for when dream and day reunite where they did the whole record in la in 2004. Oh, so okay that they could, yeah so i mean it's really good um if you can find that out there somewhere uh, it's i think it's probably pretty hard to find um but it's really good and i mean it has a full commentary track so not only can you watch the show but it has a commentary track going over it if you'd like and it's uh, if i remember right it's portnoy and petrucci talking about the record and, and all sorts of little nuances about it. It's really, 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 really fascinating stuff. Um, but, yeah, I just, I mean, I, I think the record has some great songs. I mean, right off the bat, you know, Fortune and Lies is one of my favorite Dream Theater songs. So I I really like it. Um, I mean, wh- where do you stand on that particular song? I Are mean, there um, any songs have you, that stick out to you? or
1: Yeah, so, I mean, we can go track by track. That's fine. <clears throat> um, first song, definitely... Like you said, Majestic, you got the big keyboards, which I love, you know, that that's yeah. what separates this band from, you know, probably the the Queens rights, the Fates Warnings, those type of bands is those keyboards, regardless of if it's Kevin Moore, Derek Sherrini and Jude, Jordan Rudis, as we talked about the different players without those, you know. You can love John Petrucci and My Young and Portnoy and LaBrie as much as you want. But if you don't have those keyboards providing that sonic landscape, which really shapes these songs, then it's just not the same band. And right off the bat, you get hit with, a you know, just a bunch of big, huge keyboards in it. It's great.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I think it, one of the one of the things that I love about, you know, particularly Fortune and Lies is, you know, it. Right off the bat, you kind of know what you're getting with the band, where it breaks out. The, the chorus is very different from, you know, the rest of the song, which I think is really, really cool. Um, I've, I've always really liked that. And then, you know, the that kind of galloping thing that they do is, yep. is, is I've always been a really big fan of that. Um, uh, I, I always kind of laugh when I listen to the song now, though, because uh, I don't know if you remember, but they did it on the Live at Luna Park record. And... Uh, man, Genie's doing that with one hand on the <laughs> so okay. Like, I'm like, this guy is superhuman, man. It's man, it is, it is crazy. Um, we do have a question from Adam Rishog. If, if I'm mispronouncing that, I apologize. But Adam wants to know any idea why the band hasn't released when Dream and Day Unite in digital format. Um, I may be wrong on this.
1: It's a rights um, issue, a rights issue, isn't yeah, it?
0: Yeah, yeah. They don't they don't own the masters to that. Uh, that's one of the reasons why they did the It's a Jam release, uh, recording it live because number one they they wanted a version that uh, that had good like modern sounding production. Uh, they wanted a version of it with James singing it, and also, um, you know, they they don't own the masters, so they, there wasn't any way for them to get that album out to people again. Yeah, uh, short short of people, you know, going on the internet like eBay and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, they they actually can't put it out in digital format. Um, you know, the best the best thing you could do is like rip stuff off of YouTube, uh, yeah, something something like that. Um, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> here's <laughs> here we have another question. This is this is a good one. Uh, Tony DeRose asks. Have you ever felt frustrated when trying to sell the brilliance of the band to friends who'd never heard of them? I mean, they never really felt like they went Hollywood, i.e. sold out. Um, No, I mean, Dream Theater to me is kind of like it's – I don't know how you feel, Brian, but it's kind of one of those either you really like it and you're into it or you just don't care at all. So I have a lot of friends that are just – they're like, hey, that's your thing. Go for it. You know, They're not fans, whereas (laughs) I'm – you know, a super fan and I I have a I have a dream theater podcast for God's sake. So I mean, what do you think about that question? Uh
1: shout out to Tony. That's my buddy from Canada. I know Tony for a long time. Um, yes, I, I don't think there's a lot of middle ground, like you said. I mean, we're we're contemplating this upcoming episode where we had sort of briefly talked about what are the you know, the 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 non prog songs that could get people into it, you know. Yeah. And you know, and rethinking that, I don't know if you know it, it I don't know if that would work out of ten people. If you'd get three of them that liked those, that would did go on to like the band. You know, I don't know what the percentage of that would be. Kind of interesting to see, but uh, yeah, it's if you have to try to sell someone on this band, it's just probably someone that just, just doesn't get it. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, that's that's kind of how I see it. It's like, you know, I mean, it's it's definitely an acquired taste because it, it is so dense and there's so much there to absorb. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it is a little bit difficult, I think. Um but yeah, I'm going going back to you know the record, um, like I say, Fortune and Lies is one of my is one of my favorite songs. Uh I think also it kind of sets a tone for the record. I, I, I think that there is definitely and maybe this is a stupid term, but uh, youthful energy to it because when you listen back to it there it's it's very busy. There's a lot of really like shred playing on, on not only the keys, but, you know, or the guitars, yeah. excuse me, but the keyboards and, you know, I mean, there, there's, you know, parts in a, a couple of songs like I'm, I'm trying to remember which song in particular, but, you know, they've got a double bass like while the guitars and keys are all like doing these crazy yep. runs. And and I think I think there's a lot of that on there. So it sounds like kids who are super excited to, you know, write the music and perform the music. And there I, there's not as much breathing room in a lot of this stuff, I think musically as there would come to be on future, on future albums. I don't know. I don't know how you see that, but
1: yeah, I don't like particularly the way the guitar tone sits in a lot of the songs, you know, and we talked before about, okay, it's, it's night and day between images and words. And I think that is the number one thing besides overall production, the guitar sound and how the guitar fills up and basically powers a song is just completely different, you know, from this album to images and words. And, And being a keyboard player and a keyboard fan, I I, I'll never say this ever because it rarely ever happens, but the keyboards probably are almost a little too prominent and a little too loud as much as I like them. I think Mm -hmm. they probably could be backed off a tad and, you know, maybe crunch up the guitar a little bit. But, you know, like you said, it's a youthful band and everyone's kind of just jamming their brains out and it's cool, too.
0: Yeah. I I mean, if I if I was if I was gonna say anything about the mix, like if you wanted to bring the keyboards down, I'd say you definitely need to bring the bass guitar up a little bit. Um, the the remastered version of the record definitely clears some of that up a little bit, but I think in the overall mix, I mean, the bass guitar is very very quiet, and that kind of sucks because this was you know a record that has what a lot of people have called lead bass in that you know my own was just doing some crazy stuff man it was yeah. awesome performance wise i mean and that, that's one of the things that really stand out when you watch you know the, the 2004 show is all the crazy stuff that he was doing on the bass guitar on this record and you know i've always thought I, I forget where i read it but someone said you know someone did coin the term lead bass for it and i've i really think that that's a very accurate description
1: yeah. Agreed. Um, the other thing too, for John talk production, you know, the vocals have that eighties just silked in so much reverb, <laughs> you know, and delay and echo and everything else. And, and, you know, that was kind of the style back then that was that, you know, Reich sort of famous for that in the first couple albums. Yep. Um, but, uh, I think it was, it was overkill. Like, honestly, if I had my, the, the ultimate for me would be able to hear if Charlie did the vocals, uh, on those live versions I heard. Cause I, I liked Labrie's vocals on them too, but you know, I think these are probably the last songs in the world. Libri really wants to sing. If you, if you know, if you put a gun to his head, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sure, I believe right. he probably sure. wants to play images and words and everything, you know, from then on forward that he was had more of a hand in, you know, developing yeah. um, initially. But, um, but yeah, it, the other thing too, with those live ones, it's like, okay, well now we all have really good equipment. We got a great front of house sound engineer and everything. And, The keyboards just sound you know fatter and bigger and the guitar sounds crunchy and really drives those songs the way that you want you you wished it would have you know on the studio album too
0: yeah sure yeah i i i I completely agree with that um you know again it's it it sucks that to me it sucks that the, the record was plagued by you know production issues because i think there's a lot of really good stuff here that i think sometimes can get lost in that and um, it's it's funny because I was going back and doing research on this today, and you mentioned you know the vocals sounding kind of like you know a Queensryche ish type of thing. I thought it was interesting that the that right before they started recording the record, the last band in that studio was Queensryche, and they were recording Mind Crime in there. Yeah, I, I was like, wow, are you serious? So, um, I mean, it's it's interesting to think about that when you when you back the two records up against one another because it, you know you could really see the difference in the budget you know what i mean yeah. like like the, the budget for when dream and day unite was like $30,000 or something crazy like that and they yeah. they they had 3 weeks to do it and i you know it's i mean it's 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 dumb to say well if you have more money it's going to sound better i mean that's an obvious statement but i mean it really is glaring yeah and so i mean it's that that was just really interesting to me how you you get two totally different sounding records out of you know the exact same place so yeah um so the second song is uh uh status seeker which was kind of like uh you know it was kind of like the, i think it was the last song they wrote for the record and, and they kind of wanted something you know that was like simpler so that they could try and at least get some sort of traction on radio and whatnot um i, I never hear people talk about this song but i actually really dig it i i really like this song
1: I like this song too, but it sounds nut. You won't find a single song on any of the rest of their albums that sounds remotely like this, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I love it too. I love the beginning. Keyboard parts are real poppy and happy. You know, it kind of has yep. that that feel of like uh, like in Rodney Dangerfield, like going to you know back to school or whatever, where like the guys whoever's got to buckle down and and really you know put their feet to the fire and they're trying to accomplish something. And this happy, <laughs> yeah. you know, happy driving keyboard synth 80s is behind them. You know, that's that's what the Correct. beginning, the whole beginning of that song sounds like. But then when it gets when it gets going, um, the chorus and the verse and everything, it kind of reminds me of uh, the mid 80s Rush stuff. You know, like the, it, especially the way he's singing. And even in the book, I think someone references New World Man by yeah. Rush that he sounds like that. And he definitely sounds like in that signals grace under pressure era type of you know and if there's one thing we know about dream theater every single person in the band you know worships Rush, so <laughs> yeah. it's not surprising
0: yeah completely um yeah i mean it's i mean i, I think i think that's a very a very astute observation saying that it's like the happy 80s keyboards like coming out of a movie though because when you really picture that it's like yeah you, you can kind of picture that you know <laughs> do, 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 right right do, do, yeah, do, do, do,
1: do. Like, yeah.
0: <laughs> so yeah it really does um and yeah there, there's definitely nothing else like that i think anywhere in the i mean you, you have you have shorter more concise songs on other records but I, this one i think is definitely you know, you could tell they were like, hey, we got to get something on radio. So let's 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 put something like that together. And so it, it definitely sticks out like a sore thumb, I think, on the album. But oh, I, yeah. I, I love the melodies of it. I mean, it like you said, it's very happy. It's very upbeat. Um, it's just really catchy, um, you know, and it's really the, you know, coming out of the chorus of, uh, you know, um, uh, Fortune and Lies. And you go into this one, I think I think it, it really sets a good precedent for their ability to write a big hook yeah. Um, so i i think that really kind of like again it sets up the rest of the album it really sets up the rest of their career because you're like okay there's all this crazy musicianship but okay underneath it all it's still a band where song the song is key and they they understand the need for a big hook for people to latch on to yep um, so uh going into track three which i know you love uh the first <laughs> Dream Theater instrumental Yitze Jam, which is Majesty spelled backwards. For anybody who never, who never caught that or knew that, I've actually had people like I said, I, I've actually had people that are fans of the band not know that this record exists, and I and they also the, the ones that did. I've met a lot of people didn't know that that you know that I've been asked like where they why is it called the Yitze Jam? I'm like, well, if you spell, if you do it backwards, it's Majesty, and that's the original name of the band. And they're like, oh, oh, oh okay, right. So, uh. Tony Tony DeRosa says he's guilty of that <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah um so yeah, I mean I, so why don't you talk about this one for a second because you seemed like you weren't like a big fan of this one. um it's kind of impression it's, I got. it's
1: kind of it's kind of grown on me a little bit. I mean, it's uh you know let's let's take this for what it is. It's basically an it's an iron maiden, you know, t- twist on an iron maiden riff uh with a bit of Ingve I think in there. Um, I, I definitely like the live version of this more because everybody stretches out a lot more, you know, on the solos yeah. and 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 whatnot. But it's it's grown on me some. Um, but yeah, very very reminiscent of something off of like Peace of Mind, Iron Maiden, between that and Power Slave era, you know, the, the riff yeah. and stuff. Which hey, nothing wrong with that, right?
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, this was this was definitely the song live where it'd be like, hey. You know, we're good musicians, but we're just going to kind of rub it in your face. <laughs> right. So, you know, they always had Mike Portnoy's drum solo in the middle of this one. And, you know, to this day, I mean, you'll hear little snippets of it if they ever kind of go off into like an instrument or, or something. They, you know, kind of throw throw this one in there. And um, it always gets a huge reaction to this day. So I know I know the few times that I've seen it, people are like, holy crap, it's a jam. So, um, you know, I, yeah. I think it's cool. I mean, yeah, it is very kind of like, you know, maiden ish. Yeah. um but it's it's got those you know, weird you know changes in it and everything and uh you know it's you know it's the first time we get to hear them without a vocalist and they really you know this is the first time they prove that they don't even have to have vocals on a song to keep your interest for you know six seven <clears throat> minutes or however long it is so yeah know, cody west says after hearing the live version of metropolis part one from when dream and day reunite i kind of wish charlie would have stayed as a backup singer that's interesting um i mean the two vocalist thing would be an interesting concept i i do know that charlie said that he was kind of done with the band at the point that they were done with him uh the vocals that he was tasked with singing were out of his range um And he he's he has a lower voice than you would think um, based on performances on the record. So I don't know if he would have been a fan of that because he would basically probably would have been doing a lot of low harmonies with with James, you know, given that James has that huge operatic upper register type of thing. So, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, speaking of Charlie's vocals, I want to bring up something. So in the um, the what is it, the, the basement tapes or the famous basement tapes, whatever you want to call them. And yeah. the the Portnoy documentary as well. Those some of those live recordings of these where there's coming straight from the four track or the board or whatever. Like I think his vocals, the clarity and everything, sounds better than it does on this album. You know because they they're not soaked in all of that. You know reverb and delay and everything else. Like like I can't believe how crystal clear his vocals are on some of that stuff. I was listening to it the other day and it really surprised me.
0: Yeah. No, it, it definitely oh. translated very well live. Um and and I agree with you. I mean it, at times it's like <laughs> that just a raw you know a raw live recording sounds better than the actual studio. <laughs> it's like I'm with you. It's it's weird, but um you know like like I think like you said like it's not they didn't have to compress it all down and you know put all these crazy effects on it. It's just hey, here's a live band ripping and mm-hmm. you know I think, I think it serves the music you know serves the music very well so um cody also says that the when dreaming day reunite show reinvigorated him which is why he started his band dominici uh that is very true um
1: i haven't have you heard any of that i didn't even know that existed
0: yeah it's it's really cool um it's it's like uh it's a little proggy it's it's basically kind of like you know metal ish um it's good it's really good um i would check it out if you, if you like since you haven't heard it i would definitely check it out it i think you'd dig it so cool um, yeah so uh all right so probably the first example of you know a, a drawn out dream theater song track for the killing hand um also the first time that john petrucci just went off and like with with the with the uh the whole fantasy lyric you know he made up a story and stuff like that for this one um so uh yeah this this definitely is you know you can hear where the band would go later and i, I think i think that's on a lot of this stuff is like it, it you can you can tell that they have an idea of what they want to do it's just not perfectly honed yet so um i think this is a great example of that it's it's a little choppy i think here and there um but it, it's still a great song and uh it actually has charlie dominici on guitar mm-hmm. on this oh one, really so. Yeah, if, if I remember, I think he played, uh, he was one of the two acoustic guitars on the intro. So, because, um, you know, he, he can play guitar and stuff like that. So, um.
1: so this song for me has Right good and Queensryche bad in it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the bad, the bad part is literally right before it goes into the verse, they pull, they're going into almost the opening chord from Operation Mindcrime. And I guarantee you that is some kind of inside joke or something. And you probably know what I'm talking about. It's like bare near like that just one yeah. that one little riff right before it starts. Yeah. Which is like, oh gosh, really and it's like they recorded mind crime there and you threw that right in there. It was just so <laughs> I mean, it was so obvious, but then also I love the part the acoustic um slower part really reminds me of uh, Roads to Madness, which is one of my all-time favorite Queensryche songs off the Warning. Yeah. And yeah. it's a very it gets that feel of, you know, that, that, in the kind of lady in blackish you know, when they start doing that, that little, um, slow mellow part there. I think it's awesome, you know? So yeah, a lot of cool songs, this song, especially, I think really, um, stands out, you know, better live because the guitars are just, you know, the sound to me is just so much better as I constantly bring up. But
0: yeah, no, it's, I mean, like, like I said, that's, you know, that's, that's what crippled the record. Mm -hmm. Everyone has said is, you know, the, the production, you know, because they didn't have a lot of time, they didn't have a lot of money. And, uh, I mean, you're dead on when you present these in a, in a live format. I mean, they're just so much more powerful and so much more you know, clear. And you can really, I, th- I think the songs, you know, come across much better. And this is, you're, like you said, it's a perfect example because there's so much there. And when you hear that in a live setting, it's just so much more, so much more power to it. Yeah. Um, I do really love the, uh, the the mellow part with just the guitar and vocal, um, you know, in the middle of the song. Uh, I I thought I th- I, that's one of my favorite dream theater parts uh, on the record. I think it's great. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, um, you know, like I say, I mean, l- looking forward, this is kind of like a blueprint for a lot of things that they would do in the future. So, um, you know, it's a great introduction to the future of the band, I think. So. Um, you know i i really like it uh next track is your favorite light fuse and get away (laughs) oh
1: i i love the intro i love all the cool keyboards and the way this song starts but then man when it gets to the you know the course and it's just i do not know it just doesn't work for me it's all choppy and it's not i don't think it's sold very well by you know I don't, know if anyone even knows what this song is about. Is it about a firecracker or you know, <laughs> is it about a, like a, uh, you know, a person who's got a temper, or, but yeah, yeah it's it just, it's too, it has this beautiful, you know, the first two minutes or whatever. And then, you know, that it's got a couple time changes and, and it just, that, that course just doesn't do, you know, and I I've never heard them do anything much like status seeker. I've never heard them do a song and it's, kind of this i guess the word is discombobulated when it comes to the course verse transitions as this one so yeah that's my yeah. take on it
0: <laughs> yeah i i i i kind of like this one the chorus on this one actually it's interesting to me it's you know it's it's it, it it's a total departure from the rest of the song, which is cool. And then they go into that that you know they 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 go into that jog out of the chorus to do like yeah. the solo the solo part, which I I've always thought was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I mean you know again like we said on a couple of the other ones that it, it is a little bit disjointed. I think here and there, um, you know again it's something that they would master on future records. But but you know on this one I I think every once in a while it could have been a little more. You know, cohesive. Um,
1: yeah,
0: and I I think this is a good example of that. Uh, but again, I, I you know, it, it's it's uh, a you know the lyrics and stuff. It's Kevin Moore, and he he had some crazy stuff as as we know you know, on, on the next two records, he had some great lyrics. And this one is like, what the heck is that? <laughs> so like, yeah. um, you know, at least it's an interesting song title. I mean, it's, you know, I mean this one, and then the ones who helped to set the sun, you're like, what the heck is that? But at least it's interesting and it's not stock and you know what I mean? So, um, yeah. I mean, at least, at least it's got that going for it. But, um, you know, I, I, I think this is one of the, I, this one is to me, I was kind of, think of it as like one of the weird songs on the record but i i i don't say that in a bad way because i yeah. like when they do some goofy stuff um so i i, I kind of dig this one so uh, again i I, re- I really like this record and maybe it's just a nostalgia thing for me um but you know this is an interesting song i think so um track six is one of the best ones on the album afterlife uh i know i saw them do this one at radio city music hall when i was there for the score show and uh th- th- this is a perfect example of a song that just totally works in a live environment. And uh, you know, the the guitar the the guitar riff is awesome. Yeah. Um it's got that soaring chorus, you know, in the afterlife. Yeah. So, you know, I this is one of my favorites on the on the record. How do you feel about it?
1: Uh g- great song. Um, like you said, a great live song. To me, this is like the the best song that didn't end up on Iron Maiden somewhere in time. Like it's, it's got that, you know, big giant course. It's what I call very immediate. You know, when the riff comes in you and you know what it's going to do, but you're not like, Oh, this is predictable. You know what I mean? Like when you can literally feel where the changes are going to go, but they feel so, so good. And it's, it's so musically, you know, powerful and, and, and gets you. Um, But yeah, great song. Love this song. You know, this is one of our i guess would be one of our you know non-prog kind of no-brainers the boom they get to the riff and just a cool song
0: yeah i, I think you used a, a perfect word for it and saying that it's immediate um you know the, the guitar riff is great you know the going into the verses is cool you know the, the verse has the, even the verse itself has you know has great hooks to it um the verses and um like you said big <laughs> chorus and everything and it's just you know this is definitely one of those petrucci check me out i'm a shred guitar player type of songs that i don't think i don't think any dream theater fan ever complains when they do that sort of thing um so you know anytime that i've seen it they've they've thrown it in um you know anytime they've thrown it in i'm always a huge fan because i just think it you know the song just absolutely rocks live so i'm i'm a huge fan of that um so the next song, the ones who helped to set the sun this 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 for me is kind of like the other weird song on the record um and you know, it's a it's a good song, but I think for me I would I, I think this is probably, the weakest one on the record uh where, where do you stand
1: so i'll flip-flop with you on this one In uh light fuse and getaway i love the keyboard stuff that goes on in most of this song i think it's absolutely okay. beautiful it's brilliant i'm guessing it's one that they probably have never ever played other than that live one you're talking about because i've never seen it played anywhere i didn't really do a deep dive search on it but i've seen them five times and this song has never you know
0: <laughs> yeah
1: i'm guessing this is one that doesn't even remotely cross their radar to play live but i think it's cool i do think it gets a little similar to life Using and get away there's some a uh, little bit of some time changes that get sort of seems to slightly disjointed um you know and i wish they would have kind of kept it more in the in the vein that it was to begin with but uh I, I a little more straightforward yeah yeah but i like this i like the song
0: yeah i mean it, it's a good song. Um I, you know through throughout the history of the band, there's literally, I mean, I could think of one song that I would actively skip, um, and I'll I'll, I'll save that for that album's deep dive when we do it. But um,
1: <laughs> I already know what it is. You told me before.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just it's you know, like I said, I'll I'll save that. It's the one Dream Theater song. I'm like, nah, I don't need to hear this. Yeah, um, and you know, so I mean, this song isn't my favorite on the record, but I do enjoy it. Um, but like I said, I think it's, you know, if I had to say, do I have a least favorite song on this album, that this would be it. Um, you know, there, there's not like a big, you know, this one does not really have a hook in the chorus and stuff like I think the other songs do. Um, so it's it doesn't really it doesn't really grab me like, yeah. you know, the material on the rest on the rest of the album. Um, so uh, the final track, only a matter of time. Uh, this is another one that I, I really really like. I, I think it translates well to a live environment. Um, you know they did this uh, I think it was uh, yeah, live at Budokan has this one and um, I thought you know and I, I think I think it, it, it again works in a live environment, but I think especially you know on that particular show, you know they they really you know they they really put it in a good they put it in a good spot so um i I really like this one how about you
1: yeah this song um really reminds me especially you've talked before it kind of gets that gallop they have a gallop and then they almost have a medium gallop Yeah. and there's a lot of huge essence of learning to live and take the time you can see this song is going to morph into those type of songs it's just all of those elements are right there and there's yeah. some parts where I almost think like, wait a minute, is this take the time or, you know, or is it a matter of time? Cause it's they're, <laughs> they, they built, there's a couple parts where it builds literally to where you think that's where it's going, Yeah. but it's a great album ender to, you know, looking back now go, Oh, well, this is, this is really, now we're on the track of what's going to end up being images and words.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. Um, And it's weird cause the, the album kind of builds like that, doesn't it? It's, it's almost like, it, it's it starts here and each song kind of progressively gets closer to where they would end up i mean it's it's really weird how it kind of flows that way in in a weird way um you know i think i you know like i guess I, I think the record as a whole is a great introduction to the band um but you know i, I think this song is kind of like a great encapsulation of the entire record as a whole yeah. you know it it's it's got all you know all the different cool parts that the other songs have and it's it's in a nice little concise package you know the song itself is you know six and a half minutes long so it's got the cool prog elements it's got the cool hooks uh like you know it's got like you know the the keys and the guitars are doing some cool stuff in it so um i i think it's a great album closer and i think it's a a great teaser for you know what they would then do on future records um so uh so overall my my overall thought on this is that I really like it, and I think it's a very unheralded and underrated record. Um, I definitely I know you said like you don't know, go back and listen to it and stuff. I I actually do. I have two copies of this um, on CD, and I I have one displayed. I have like a Dream Theater shelf back uh, against on the wall of my man cave here, and I keep one in the car. You know, again because you can't get it digitally, so I keep a you know a CD copy of it in in the car with me so um i i do listen to it pretty frequently so i'm a big fan of it like overall like i know i think you correct me if i'm wrong here but i think you started out when we came up with the idea of doing this not so much a fan of the album but then in going back and listening to it a bunch you know preparing for doing this i think you kind of started appreciating it more yeah
1: i definitely that's the good word for it is appreciate i think there's a difference between you know loving something and appreciating it you know for all you married guys out there <laughs> no just kidding but uh it's the same thing when it comes to that i guess but yeah you know i i like i said when i first got this album i'd spun it four or five times i think and you know i just nothing ever really caught me too much you know but listening to it now and loving images and words as much as i do it's it's neat to kind of see the bridge you know and there are there are some cool songs on there i think you know, overall, if I was being brutally honest, it's probably about three songs on there. You know, maybe four that I think put are probably. I don't want to use tune worthy, but when you're Dream Theater and you have so many songs to choose from, so many albums, you know, you probably want to be, you know, careful about which ones you pick off. You know, you really want to pick the big hitters off of there. I guess is what I'm saying. If you're going to put them into a live concert, you know, yeah. but I mean, my opinion. You,
0: I mean, no, I, I would agree with that. I mean, and, and to your point, the only ones that I know that I've seen, obviously, you know, they'll bust out some parts of Viette Jam when they're doing, again, an Insta medley or something. But, you know, I've seen A Fortune in Lies, Afterlife, and Only a Matter of Time, and the rest I've never seen them touch um, personally. So, um, Well, there there's cool.
1: a live version of Killing Hand that says Another Hand slash Killing Hand. Have mm-hmm. you heard yeah. that? So yes. th- now that whole intro is completely different than the song. There's a huge Petrucci melodic jam thing that starts out that is not in this song. I'll have to send I, it to you later. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about or not.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think I think I've heard it. I I had the demos to this record on CD. I bought that uh, with the when when I got the when Dream and Day reunite DVD. I bought the the two disc set of the Majesty demos. Okay. Um, and I don't remember if that was in there for some reason. Um, so, Well, hey, speaking of the Majesty demos, uh, Cody West wants to know, sorry if you already mentioned it, but I'd be curious to hear about your thoughts on the Majesty demo with Chris singing. Um, that being Chris Collins, uh, the, the you know, guy who was in the band even before uh, Charlie Domenici. Um, he, he's got, boy, he has got a very interesting voice. Um. It is really high. I mean, you want to talk about a guy that can hit some high notes like that guy was insane. So it, it's kind of it's kind of funny because uh, the closing like credits of the career retrospective documentary that's on score like the score so far. They 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 actually play one of these songs and it goes back and forth between footage with Chris Collins singing, uh, you know, with with you know a current version so it just plays through the song so half of it is the is their first guy one of the first things they ever did and then you know stuff with with james i mean it's man it's crazy to hear that guy's voice because he can get up there so i i like it um I, i i think his voice would not have aged very well with the band and i know you know some people say that you know you know james's voice is an acquired taste and everything well i think i think chris collins's voice would have been very 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 much an acquired taste because it's it is really in that super high operatic niche type of sound so um have you heard very much of his stuff brian
1: i think i found a little bit of it the other day and uh when i was telling you i found this stuff with john arch from fate's warning singing and that was like That blew me away. I was like, whoa. Yeah. Like, I love John Arch, but like, his style of singing is very coming up with his own melody lines and running all over the place and stuff. And that's the exact opposite of what anyone in Dream Theater, you know, wants the singer to do. So (laughs) that would have never worked. But it's funny because watching that too, and everyone's ripping on John Arch. Oh, he sounds terrible doing this. It's like, well, this is what John Arch does, you know. And I did hear a couple of the Chris Collins. Um, I don't really have much of an opinion. I mean, it sounded like a guy singing the songs, you know, it's, it's hard to tell from listening to, you know, three, four minutes, you know, of something like that. And a guy that you don't, you don't even have a face to or know from anything else. Yeah. You know, I
0: agree. Okay. Well, so that's, so in a, in a nutshell, those are our thoughts on when dream and day unite. Like I say, I think it's very underrated and I, I really like it. Um, I, I've always been surprised that I've met some fans that weren't even aware that, uh, that the the album exists. I, I actually some guy almost he, he was like arguing with me like crazy. I went to a show in Columbus um, back on the systematic chaos tour and we got talking with somebody and this guy was just adamant that I was an idiot you know uh images and words is the first album everybody knows uh, like, no dude and i'm like dude just trust me on this like it is not <laughs> you have an album before that believe me
1: it's been so... uh raised on spotify then that, that is <laughs> that that is the only album that's not on spotify yeah it's not available so...
0: Di- digitally so but so that was kind of funny but um well uh something else we wanted to do uh we got an interesting question on the first episode from someone they they asked us who do we think would be a guitar player that could replace John Petrucci? And we kind of started thinking about it, and we kind of came up with a, uh, uh that kind of came up with a criteria for it. Um, and it's not just okay, well, who can play guitar as good as John Petrucci? Because you know that's, I mean, you can find guys that could just you know have the chops to play this stuff, but we kind of put a little bit of a caveat on it. We said. Who could replace John Petrucci for an album and tour? So let's say they have to write the record, and they have to tour the record. So you know, can they make it sound like Dream Theater, and can they, you know, make it, you know, blend in with the other material? Um, I am not copping out on this by saying this, but I could not think of anybody that really could do what he does. Uh, and I know you you have three good suggestions. So why don't we, why don't we why don't you bring yours up and then we can go over because I just couldn't think of anybody. I mean the guy's just so into I mean he is the sound of dream theater. He runs the business I and mean, he does everything now that, Port, especially now that Portnoy's gone. So I'm just like, I, I don't know. I couldn't think of anybody that could fill those shoes, even for one album and tour cycle. So who do you have?
1: So, number three, I'll go in my order that I had of probably least likely to most likely. Number three, I had Vinnie Moore. Now, Vinnie Moore is from the old Mike Varney shrapnel shred school, you know, with Tony McAlpine and Jason Becker and all those guys, you know. Kind of what I call the post Ingve era came out because of Ingve. basically. He also was in an 80s band that I, uh, to this day, I still like some of the, when they bring up new music, they always change members now all the time, but Vicious Rumors, he was in that band okay. originally. I think he was like 16, 17 when he was in that band. And for the last, I believe, 15 to 20 years, he's been the touring and a writing member for UFO. So he's played with, Paul, you know, Phil Mogg, who's I consider one of the greatest, um, you know, vocalists of all time from UFO, doesn't get a lot of, lot of you know, mainstream credit. So he has that yeah. ability to, he is, definitely has that technical ability to probably play all this stuff. And he, I don't know how much he writes and contributes to the UFO stuff, but I would imagine it's quite a fair amount. Um, okay. So that's number three. Okay. We, no, we're we, we do ahead. have a
0: suggestion here. Sorry about that. Don't don't mean to cut you off. Sure. There. Adam Rishog says, <laughs> the only guitarists that come to mind are Andy James, Marcos Fogli, or Plini. Uh, I am a huge, huge fan of Marcos Fogli and Plini. Uh, I did think of them.
1: So who are but, these guys?
0: So Marcos Fogli played on a couple of James Labrie solo albums. Um, okay. Okay. And uh, it's, 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 he, he puts out, like, in, guitar instrumental records. Um, he's an Italian guy. And it's basically, like, I, I would say maybe power metal-ish. Um, but I love his solo stuff. I listen to it all the time. Um, so, I mean, if, if you haven't heard it, Brian, I would really recommend it because it's great. Um, cool. and, Pl- and Plini is kind of like a – almost like a metal fusion jazz type of – uh, guy, it, it's weird, man. He's he's from overseas too. I want to say Australia, I think. Um, but yeah, his 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 stuff is it's very progish mm-hmm. Um, it, it's very interesting. So I think you know both of them combined, they really cover some really cool territory. Um, but again, I thought of those guys for this question, but I was like, Pliny might be a little too weird, and Marcos Fogli's writing might be a little too straightforward to Really fit in with dream theater, um, and Marcos Fogley doesn't really seem to have that huge personality. You know, I've, I've looked up live video of him, and he's kind of one of those guys just stands there and plays. There's really not much to watch there, um, which when you're you know playing shred guitar at a prog show is not you know the be all end all, of course. <laughs> I mean, you're there for, you're yeah. there for the notes and the musicianship, not to see somebody you know doing the Eddie Van Halen jumping around stuff, but um, yeah. yeah, I like chops wise. I'm sure they could do it, but I just don't see how they would, you know, write things that would, you know, fill, fit in seamlessly with the rest of the catalog. So um, good suggestions, Adam. Um, like I said, do you know who the
1: close. first guy is? Andy James. I don't know that name. I am either. not
0: familiar with him either. So um, that one I cannot comment on. So um, all right. So you're so that so you have so, more at number three. So who's your number two?
1: So number two is Paul Gilbert. Um, everyone knows probably knows that name paul gilbert he you know again he was a a mike varney shrapnel but that was one of the few bands that was on their racer x racer x X, to this to this day one of my all-time favorite metal bands you know scott travis from drummer eventually joined judas priest you know yeah i think he was in the scream with john karabi if i'm not mistaken um but yeah so he was in racer x and also in mr big which you know it's a band that has some cool songs <laughs> you know their shred stuff is cool the ballads never did a whole lot for me but you know billy sheehan's in that band obviously a great band
0: that always cracks me up that those two guys are in mr big because it's like i know when you think of mr big like you think of that you know to be with yep. you, that little acoustic thing and instead you've got these you would never know that they've got two of the most incredible you know musicians on the planet in that band well yeah and if you
1: if you see a concert or go to a concert of theirs you're getting five minutes of that it's kind of like extreme we joke about you get five minutes of that and then you get you know 45 minutes or an hour of you know all this great technical playing and great jamming you know and whatnot so that's really not you know but yeah paul gilbert's a guy you know i like his solo stuff you know the solo stuff i've heard him do is cool he's his in his solo band he has i believe marco Miniman has played a few times with him you know famously yeah. on the dream theater auditions you know one of the most ridiculous guys you'll ever see behind a drum kit the stuff that he yeah. can do so i thought paul gilbert you know possibly okay and then uh, rounding out <clears throat> the number one guy i thought it would be michael And I don't know if it's Romeo or Romeo, because you know it's Romeo and Juliet, but it's Alpha Romeo. So (laughs) anyway, he is the basically the main songwriter, the the brains the brawn behind one of my all-time favorite bands, Symphony X. And and um, you know, just a great metal player in that very Baroque Ingve kind of style. Symphony X to me sounds like you know, if Ingve ever just decided to get his act together you know and get with a bunch get with some producers and get with some young guys that could write songs you know that's what he should sound like you know in 2020 2021 you sure. know that to me that's what you know um that's what symphony x is they they make these just great. like i love michael uh, romeo's solo album also he he did about 2 years ago some great stuff on there it's very his instrumental stuff is almost like spielberg like you could see this you know Put behind a movie, you know what I mean, and, and and Dream Theater has elements of that too. I think they're very yeah. Spielbergian in some of the stuff that they do. So he would be the number one guy, I, I would think so, you know, in my eyes. But I th-
0: I, th- I think that, I think that's a good suggestion. Um, I th- I think the reason I wasn't one hundred percent sold on that is I-, I wonder how far down the Prague rabbit hole he can go. I mean, is it is he like at the limits of what he can do? in that arena with what he does in symphony x or is it is there a lot more there so i think that was my only reservation but yeah i mean that's really a small quibble so you know if, right. if i had to, if i had to throw out an answer i think i think you picked a very good one um you know and, and he it, he's the closest thing you know to john petrucci you know in that in that way in that he is the songwriter you know he's kind of like you know one of the faces of the band and everything like that so um you know he could definitely pull that off i think so uh, i i think i think it's a really good suggestion man i think that's a very good suggestion
1: well and we did have also um christopher powell he mentioned uh chris broderick on um on one of our posts earlier so i just want to give him a shout out um chris broderick i think you turned me on to this album he is on arguably the best megadeth album since since um Rust in Peace, and that's Endgame. Yeah, was, um, yeah, that's a, that's a kickass. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's he played on that. Um, he also was originally in one of my favorite bands uh, as well, Nevermore. Nevermore. Um, yep. He did not write anything with that band, but he toured with them. And um, he's in a currently in a band. Uh, well, I think right now he's actually playing as a side guy with uh, In Flames, a band that oh, I've I kind of know that that I've kind of just started recently getting into a little bit. Some of those those bands from. You know Scandinavia the over there okay. but uh yeah i don't know that you know I, I appreciate the suggestion i don't know that that's would be necessarily a fit for a dream theater but you know this is all hypothetical so
0: yeah i, th- I think uh he, he's an awesome guitar player i know i know when he when he joined megadeth i was like wow like that's the best guy they've had since marty friedman so um so yeah he's he's a phenomenal player but you know can he do the progressive stuff or is he pretty much you know a rock metal guy um you know cody west says a weird possible suggestion sinister gates i don't know how well he could do Prague, but he writes shreds and deals with management of avenge sevenfold and is a fan of petrucci um yeah i think he's a little straightforward for for what the band would need um also I don't I don't I don't think he would fit in on, on a business level because one of the things uh that was an issue when Portnoy was playing with them is that you know they they were kind of on record as saying he he was very out there and did a lot of stuff with and for the fans um you know very forthright and everything and they said they're kind of more quieter on that sort of thing so I don't think he would really you know, I mean, the, the Dream Theater fans. One of the things that we all love about the band is that there's there's so much stuff out there, there's so much information, there's so much product. Um, you know, you can always find stuff. That I mean, you know the, you know the the live broadcast that they're doing here in two days on uh, January 30th. I mean, there's a there's a moderated Q and A immediately after the show. So I mean, they're doing you know a question and answer session after a live stream broadcast. And Avenged Sevenfold, they're not really that out there in terms of fan interaction. So I don't think that he would really kind of um you know fit in that in that sort of vein so that might be difficult for him um great guitar player though you know uh, i'm I'm personally not an avenge sevenfold fan um, <laughs> i really was gonna say things. when you saw that
1: pop up what went through your mind yeah i,
0: I mean <laughs> the, the, the music is great but uh m shadows he's just one of those singers I, I mean he's he's a very good singer i just can't stand the sound of his voice it's yeah. one of those tonal things for me i just it's like nails on a chalkboard so um you know they're cool though like I said, you know Adam Adam uh, Rishog said, you know, uh, City of Evils one of my favorite albums of all time. Yeah, I mean it's cool. The music is great. I remember when that came out, I was like, wow, this is awesome. And then the singer came in, I was like, and turning it off. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, not really, not really my cup of tea. But um,
1: tell them how much you like Volbeat and their singer.
0: Oh, geez, there's another one. Yeah, <laughs> not not a Volbeat fan in in <laughs> any way, any way, shape or form. Just not not a Volbeat guy. So. You won't, you won't, you won't hear us talking about that band on this show, or you won't hear me talking about them ever.
1: I want to do a, a future episode where we come up with like the three bands that nobody in their right mind would think we're actually into because we like Dream Theater. You know, <laughs> oh,
0: I've i I've, I've, I've got a few man. I mean, it's I mean, people do laugh at me because my 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 top two bands, my favorite band is Van Halen, and my second favorite band is Dream Theater, and people always laugh at that. They're like, you know, they're like, what, what kind of opposite is that? It's like, you know, yeah. raw four piece, super energetic rock and roll, and then super technical, like computery prog metal. Like that's, it's two different things. But, uh, yep. That's Co- see. Cody West is on my side. Oh God, Volbeat <laughs> is God awful. Oh. Yes, I, I agree that it, I, I don't want to be negative or anything, but, uh,
1: I'm going to do a hard disagree. I, I love Volbeat. I think no. they're, fun. I think they're fun. They're, they're, they're <laughs> energetic. I like the melodies they have. But there's but there's imagine. no point in me arguing and trying to see if to get you to like him, you know
0: no i mean i've listened to it i mean it's i it's one of those things i can understand why people like it yeah I, it's just i can't stand it. i mean you know adam Rishog nails it volbeat the drunken irish version of metallica can't stand them <laughs> like, yeah that's a pretty good description man well, well we um, we
1: talked about no middle ground yeah there's no middle ground on volbeat either yeah. you know it's either hey man i you know I, I i like the uniqueness of his voice or it's god this guy's horrible what's yeah, he doing
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's funny uh, my buddy jimmy the one that we went uh went to see a uh, dream theater without in Pennsylvania. He, he is a huge Volbeat fan and we argue about it all the time. I'm like, you can, you can have that man. That, yeah. That's all you. So, uh, so real quick before we get out of here, um, quick question for you. Are you going to be watching the images and words 25th anniversary, uh, live stream on Saturday night?
1: Well, it depends. Have I been invited to watch it somewhere?
0: <laughs> Look at this man. <laughs> you just you, you just don't want to pony up the 45 dollars that <laughs> hey, I i'll
1: I'll split it with you and i'll bring beer
0: <laughs> just bring the beer it's already paid for oh is it <laughs> yeah i bought that the other day um, oh okay it, i think i think it was like 16 or 17 dollars for the just the broadcast and it's like 45 for the broadcast um and the q a afterwards and also a limited edition poster so i'll have that coming in the mail here in the next few days but uh oh, nice. yeah I'm, ex- I'm excited for it i'm i'm really pumped up uh i i when I, we saw that show like i say, in pennsylvania and i know that the set list in the first set was just killer so um you know if, for anybody that's listening that is actually going to watch that and hasn't seen the show there are some there i know i know there's one song in particular in the first set that i was like oh my god this is awesome it's like the one song i'd never seen them play live and i got to see them play it live because it, it's very old and it's just it's awesome so i, I don't want to spoil it and say what it is but um you know it's it's great so yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to it man
1: that's cool so they are doing both i wasn't sure if they were doing both of those sets or if they were just doing the images
0: yeah no yeah it's it's both it's both Do sets. The whole, okay cool yeah cuz yeah it was it was actually originally this was a television broadcast in Japan cuz it was recorded at Budokan so they did you know the whole thing and obviously you know the, you know the first set's like a greatest hits the second set is uh the second set is images and then they do an encore of uh, changes of seasons so
1: Oh, my brother's oh. threatening to show up at your house Sunday.
0: <laughs> Apparently, there's a dream theater party here <laughs> on Saturday night. If if
1: you knew what he was dealing with, you would tell him not to come.
0: Actually, <laughs> I don't know I'll, if he's if, if he's I'll, bringing beer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you scared me when you said I spent sixteen dollars, and I thought sixteen dollars on beer like that's like yeah, that's like <laughs> fourteen more than I ever spend on a six pack. <laughs> well, you know me.
0: I I'm more of a craft. I'm more of a craft beer guy. It's either that or Corona. I, I I actually have some Corona in the fridge as we speak. So, okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, we we'll, we'll have to talk about it, man. See what see what we're doing and hook up or something. But um, yeah. Well, uh, that was fun, man. Thank, thanks for hanging out and doing the deep dive into the record. I I, I it's interesting that you kind of got more appreciation for you know when Dream and Day unite having listened to it to kind of study it for the show. I think that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks, everybody, for checking out uh, another episode of Talking Into Infinity, a Dream Theater podcast. We appreciate the support in the comments. Thanks to Adam and Cody for hanging out with us in the chat. Tony, uh, Eric, I'll send you my address as soon as we're done here. Uh, (laughs) um, You can find the show in audio format so far on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. And I am continuing to try to add more. Um, We're going to pretty much get it anywhere. So if you guys have suggestions on a platform that you think we should uh, sling this to in audio format, just shoot us an email at talkingintoinfinity at gmail.com, or you can send us a private message on Facebook. Um, Just hit us up. Let us know where you'd like to hear the show. So uh, until next time, I'm your host, John, and he is my buddy, Brian, and we will catch you guys on the next episode. Hey everyone, thanks for checking out Talking Into Infinity, a Dream Theater podcast. Just wanted to remind you that we want you to be a part of the show. If you give us a like on Facebook or follow us on Twitter, at T I I D T podcast, we post the schedule of when we are recording the show live. It is a streaming video platform on our Facebook and YouTube pages, and it has a live chat feature where you can comment on the show, ask questions. And we can bring your remarks up on the screen and have you drive the conversation. So again, give us a like on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at T-I-I-D-T podcast and come hang out with us and be a part of the show. Thanks again and carpe diem.